Hello and welcome to the Family Brand Podcast. My name is Chris. I'm a husband, a father, and an entrepreneur. My name's Melissa, and I am a wife, mother, former nurse turned real estate investor. And we believe the greatest gift you can give your child is a last name that stands for something. Your last name is your family's brand. If you are a parent who wants to raise your child to know who they are, love who they are, and believe in who they are, this show is for you. We promise to bring you real and authentic conversations with parents and experts who are committed to making their family their life's most important work. This show will help you take a stand for your family and to raise your children by design, not default. Aloha, Chris and Melissa here. Hello. <laughs> We're, I was just telling Chris, it's almost Valentine's Day. I think this will release a couple days before Valentine's Day. And I love Valentine's Day. For me, it's never been like a romantic holiday per se. I just love talking about people that I love, like my kids and my girlfriends and Chris, of course, too. But this Valentine's Day, reach out, reach out to reach out to people you love. Say, give them, give them some, some love this year. Everyone I think could use a little extra love this year. That's awesome. Actually, and I didn't know, well, <laughs> I didn't know you were going to talk about Valentine's Day, <laughs> but actually it's perfect uh, fits for what we're talking about today. This idea of hope for the future and what I don't know if there's ever been an episode that I felt as strongly that we should do it in like the moment I had the idea. So, you know, we have lots of ideas for podcast episodes and we'll put them on, you know, this list that we have that we're constantly adding to for future episodes. But I did a training. I had the opportunity to do a little bit of a training and a presentation on family brand to a group of really just impactful, inspiring entrepreneurs uh, several days ago. And it was only the second time I've really talked about family brand to you know, I do lots of trainings for the campfire effect, obviously hundreds and hundreds over the years, but it's only one of the second, I think the second training I've ever done to a group of entrepreneurs about family brand. And, uh, this really amazing woman, Shelly, she reached out to me afterwards and she said, you know, cause I had talked about the idea of taking back your family using, you know, your family's brand by creating your mission, vision values. And she said, I believe it's never been more important to take back our families because of what's happening with the mental health of our children. And then she sent me this study that I have not been able to stop thinking about and that is going to be the focus of today, which is, yeah, that, that we still, in spite of everything going on and the mental deterioration of, you know, our, our mental health with, with children and, and adults and all the hard things, that there still is hope for the future. And what she shared with me is this study that was conducted um, by the Hospital of Sick Children, it, who's affiliated with the University of Toronto. And on their website... They say that, you know, that they are Canada's most research intensive hospital and the largest center dedicated to improving children's health in the country. And what's interesting is uh, Dr. Daphne Korzak, a child and adolescent psychiatrist at the Toronto's Hospital for Sick Children, said they launched a study back in April. So shortly after, you know, the pandemic happened uh, to examine the effects of the pandemic on young children young people's mental health. And they, they surveyed, surveyed more than a thousand parents and 350 children during the first lockdown last spring. And then they continued to monitor them. And they found, they said they found that roughly 70% of the children have experienced a deterioration of their mental health. And then Melissa and I have, you know, we're just looking at different research and things we found about large percentages of adults who report the same thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's easy to do a quick Google search and find a lot of studies just about how how this pandemic and and quarantining and everything is affecting mental health. And I'm sure anyone listening has has heard about about this and it probably experienced it yourself or ourselves. Um, 
it's taken a toll, I think, on, on everybody. And what the article goes on to suggest, though, is there's things that we can do. And there's some ideas that Melissa and I had that we wanted to share with you that might serve all of us. And it was a wake-up call even for me with our own children and our own family. And Melissa and I, because she said, they just say in the study that children, a significant portion of kids are experiencing increased depression, anxiety, irritability. Um, they're just less able to buffer the day-to-day frustration. And what they go on to talk about was that that there are some things, though, that in the midst of what's going on, the thing that I couldn't stop thinking about though is of these 70% of these children that they surveyed in this study, yes, that's going on, but how, what percentage of those children feel like they can talk about that with their parents openly? And what percentage of those children feel like they can talk to their parents about it immediately? Because I would assume that there's some children who feel like maybe they never feel comfortable going and talking to their parents, or if they do, it's after it's been a problem for a long time. And so I think that's one of the things that we wanted to talk about today is how can we maybe create that in our homes, this environment, this culture where we do share with each other when things are, when we're really struggling with something, especially around things like mental health, that we come talk about it immediately. And one of our family values that we have is Smiths can talk about anything without judgment. And we've been saying that for years now, but we're realizing the power of maybe not just saying that Smiths can talk about anything without judgment, but that we can talk about it immediately. Yeah. And I think I think the whole feel and tone of this episode, we want it to be one of hope and creation, not really not despair or, you know, these are the facts, but one of hey, we know that this is a hard time and we've been doing some research and we want to bring to you some ideas of how we can create more hope for ourselves and our kids um for the for what is to come and for the future. Yeah, and I, I think about one of the most practical things that I think we could all do as families, if you haven't done this already, and it's so simple and straightforward, but Melissa and I recognized the power of this the first time we did it is if you just set your family down and had an open conversation around the idea that you can, and all of us can as a family, both mom, dad, parents, partners, and children, we really can talk about anything with each other and we can do it immediately. But I really think the most important part of that is that the emphasize the without judgment piece which is the hardest because I don't think our children are going to come talk to us. I don't think spouses and partners are going to come talk to us if they're worried about getting a huge lecture or a lesson taught to them. I don't think oftentimes they want a lecture lesson. They just want to really be able to come and share. So that's one of the things that we found is that we told our children that as a group, we kept telling them that obviously we say it every morning, but then we took them aside individually and told them. And we've had some experiences where they've come to us, you know, as a result of that. The thing though I'm realizing is that We've said, you you know, you can come talk to us about anything without judgment, but we haven't emphasized that we would really encourage you to come as soon as you are struggling. One thing I'm thinking of right now too is it, I think it takes some practice too, especially with, you know, as kids are younger, maybe they're, they'll feel something, but not know how to verbalize it, what it is they're feeling. So I think, yeah, it, take, it takes some practice and it reminds me of something that happened with Ivy this week. She... We'd ordered some new board shorts for her brothers, um, Tate and Tanner, for her older brothers. And they were opening the box and trying them on. And she was really kind of, she was acting kind of mad. And she would, she was like saying things to them and and just being a little irritable. And so I, I was thinking, you know, I bet she's feeling a little bit jealous. And so, but I wanted her to identify like, what are you feeling? Because obviously she was feeling something. And so I, I asked, I asked her like, Ivy, what, what are you feeling right now? 
And she was like, I feel like I want a new swimsuit. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay, but what is that actual feeling? Like, what are you feeling? And it took a little bit of coaching, but we got down to it that she was feeling jealous. And I don't know, it just kind of opened my eyes to like, okay, she obviously she's feeling something, but maybe needs a little help identifying it. And once she gets better at that, you know, it'll be that much easier for her to communicate her feelings and be able to communicate that that to us. Yeah. And I also think part of the wisdom in that though, is that if Ivy would have shared, yeah, what I'm feeling is jealousy. And then if you would have given her a big lecture, like on why that's why it's not, you shouldn't be jealous right now. You should just be grateful for what you have. Yeah. I think she'd be less likely to look, I'm not going to share with mom again. Like if I'm just going to get a lesson or a lecture, which is way more my tendency than Melissa's, by the way, I'm the one that always wants to turn everything into a teaching moment. And I think that's a great example of like, I know you're feeling something. And I think sometimes that's one of the things that I love about this is you, you have intuition as a parent and oftentimes you can sense when something's off with your, with your kids. And maybe you do notice like a deterioration in their mental well-being, or you notice something else that's off to be able to, you know, pull them aside and one-on-one and just say, Hey, I just, just seems like maybe, you know, you're feeling something or maybe like struggling with something or, you know, do you want to talk? And and I think perceiving that and per- creating that space. But again, for me, what I've learned the hard way is that my kids have to really believe that I'm not going to judge them, A, and then B, that I'm not going to like turn it into a big teaching moment or a lesson. And I was actually talking with um, a really amazing just entrepreneur and human being and husband and father, Jerry Coleman, who wrote a really amazing book, How to Never Lose a Customer Again. And we were talking this past week and he shared with me um, something, an idea he had gotten from someone else that they went and created an agreement with their kids that said, if you ever, I'm going to give you a piece of paper or some physical token. And he talked about the power of like something physical in the digital world we live in today that your kids can hold on to. And it can be some, put it in a drawer, a pencil, yeah. a, a paper, a mag, whatever it is. He said, and you can come in anytime you ever need to talk with me about something hard, you just come give this to me. And I already know what it is. Like, I know that you're going to share with me something difficult. And, and what I'm agreeing to do is not say anything, but just listen. And he said how effective that was. But again, I just, it, I think it's always been important to have open lines of communication as a family, again, between, you know, parents and children, but never more important than when things are really, really tough. And if we haven't created that, that would be the biggest recommendation first and foremost is that, and are we, do, are we modeling that though? Like Melissa talks about all this, like, you know, in preparation for today's episode, like, well, how well are we doing at sharing our feelings with each other, you know, Melissa and I, are we willing to come to each other and like, Hey, I'm struggling with something. Do our kids see us really like sharing what we're struggling with? Yeah. And I think just to dive a little bit deeper on that, I think that there are some schools of thought where maybe not so much anymore, but I think it still exists out there that our kids should never see us struggling or our kids should, we should always be like super strong for our kids. And while I do agree that you know, we have to be leaders like in our homes and to our children. I think that our kids never seeing us communicate, Hey, I'm having a hard day or, you know, just in communicating true emotion. I think that 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 just sets them up to not be able to do it themselves. Yeah. And so that was really the first thing that we wanted to talk about with this idea of like having this hope for the future is that if we can create this space for us to talk about, yeah, what, what we're struggling with. And one of the things, they, and by the way, we'll, we'll link to this article and this study in the show notes, but 
they just talk about the fact that we need to prioritize kids and we need to prioritize their mental health. And it just, again, it was just this wake up call for me that there's more that I could be doing there proactively with, uh, with our kids, you know, with our family to not just prioritize them, but prioritize, you know, their, their mental health and just give them the opportunity to talk about it and how the, how the pandemic has impacted their lives. So what would that, what would that actually look like in practice? Would you say? Uh, prioritizing the, the kids and their mental health. I think it would be consistently creating space for them to share on a regular basis, like what they're feeling, like what's present for them. So it reminds it kind of like, I haven't thought about it, our weekly check-ins, like the weekly check-ins that we've talked about that we do every Sunday with our kids. And at one, we take one at a time with Melissa and I, we ask them two questions. What's important to you this week? You know, how can we support you? We challenge them with something, but then maybe a fourth question that we should introduce into the weekly check-ins is, hey, is there anything you're struggling with right now? Not even like, is there anything you're struggling with that we could help you with? Because again, that implies like, we're going to teach you and like give you a lesson. Is there anything like, yeah, you're struggling with right now? So it's questions, direct questions, asking them about how they're doing. Consistently. Yeah. And it might take asking that question, is there anything you're struggling with? I don't know. Based on experience with our kids, two, three months in a row of asking it before they realize, oh, my parents really do want to know. And it may take them sharing it a couple of times to realize, oh, and my parents really are just going to listen. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I like that. And then the second thing that came to mind for me with reading a study was um, they talk about um, Rida Butler. I, I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce first name, the founder of your life counts. Um, it, it's an organization devoted to helping the mental health of young people. Uh, he says that demand has never been higher for their services. And he said, since he launched the program, you know, two decades ago, his, his work and his job in its simplest terms is restoring hope. And what he started noticing, he said, with, with all these children they were talking to is that with no end in sight, right, with the pandemic, a lot of the, many of the youth started telling him they'd lost hope. They feared the virus. They feared death. Their entire lives had been transformed. And there's the belief system that started settling in that their lives would be forever changed and never return to normal. And so he said what he did was he dug into the past for a history lesson to tell the youth that he helps. And he told them about the First World War, which lasted from 1914 to 1918. He told them about the Spanish flu pandemic, which began in 1918 and lasted for several years. Um, he, and, and he said what happened was he just was very direct with the youth that he helps. And he said, yes, like he said, what we're going through right now is historic. Like this isn't the first time something like this has happened. And it is brutal. It is horrible. He said, but guess what? Like it's been here before. And if you look back, like you'll see that we get through it. And he said that lesson, just looking at the past and looking at the fact that, oh, we have been through difficult things as a human race, really difficult things. And we've gotten through it. It helped restore hope in a lot of these youth to realize, oh, we're not alone in this struggle. And he, and he goes on to say that hope has to find its place in our lives and our hearts. Hope means different things to different people. But I think at its core, it is that sense of optimism, that sense that things suck right now, but it's going to get better. And what I loved in that is just the being really honest about it and authentic with, yeah, things suck right now. Some, some, some things are horrible. And we look at history, like we'll get through this. And not only will we get through it, but we can like really thrive on the other side of it. Yeah. I was telling Chris before we started recording, it reminds me of sort of, (laughs) this is what it reminds me of when like every time before I have a baby, I feel 
like there's just those moments where you're like, I don't know if I can do this. Like this, this is hard. Like just all this, I guess, worry and angst. And I don't know, you just, there's just so many emotions there at the end of a pregnancy. But something that always helped me was I had read this book. um, I don't remember which book, but I did a lot of reading about pregnancy and childbirth and stuff. And I'd read in a book that, hey, it was basically said, hey, you you can do this. Like women have been birthing for millennia. Like every day, women are giving birth all over the world. And it just had me sit back and think like, okay, yeah, that's, that's so true. Like I tend to get caught up in in just my experience, but being able to like step back and look, oh, like people have been doing doing this. Women have been doing this for millennia and they overcome. And yes, there's hard, there's hard things and, and things don't always go according to plan, but we as a people overcome. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the things that really, what stood out to me is first, if we can create this space where our children feel like they can talk to us. And so we, we, we know what they're struggling with. And sometimes just in the sharing of that, like that alone can be really therapeutic. Right. But then for them to hear these stories, and realize we're not alone in this struggle. People have struggled, like Melissa's talking about, which would give her hope around childbirth and facing a difficult thing. But I also believe sharing stories of our past. Like every family has stories of really difficult things that they've faced. Really like what seem like impossible challenges or impossible odds and got through them. And for your children to hear those stories, to me, what it creates in, in, in our homes and in our families is this spirit of we can do hard things. So one of our family values is Smiths can do hard things. And I, I think a saying like that, whatever it is for your family, said on a regular basis is always important, but I think it's more important than ever right now. Mm-hmm. And not just to say it, but then to back it up with stories. And, and every family has stories, right? Like, so there's historical events. So I think what, what this was, again, a wake-up call for me is, yeah, we say Smiths can do hard things. But I think on a regular basis or consistently, especially in a time like right now, would be backing that up with, oh, and by the way, here's some historical events, right? Yeah. Unrelated to your family per se, but just human, human events that have happened. Yeah. World War One, World War II, the Great Depression, the Spanish flu. I think the Spanish flu, how many people died during the Spanish flu? It's like 50 million people died or something during the Spanish flu. And and again, it's not to be, I don't say any of that, like as historical facts to, I don't want to sound tone deaf that like, oh, what we're going through isn't bad. It's more so to just show that like, Again, things unrelated to our family, just historical events where where we've gotten through it. And then stories. One came to mind for me of Melissa's mom, who, you know, Melissa's family was in a really bad car accident when you were held. I was almost 12. And Melissa's mom lost her arm and had nine children and raised nine children with one arm and like, like has done so many hard things. And, you know, to, and our children know that story, but like to tell them that story and just so many other stories that come to mind for me that really, you know, carries with it. Like, yeah, we can do hard things. We can do difficult things. Yeah. And just taking it. So historical sharing with your, our kids that historical things that have happened, but then also personal experiences, you know, from immediate family that they know, and even, even back to grandparents and great grandparents, but they, that they may have never met, but are still there like blood. Kind of like we talk about, um, I think it's episode three where we talk about the power of our kids knowing knowing their family history and where they come from. And, and you can dive deeper into that in episode three, but I think it's really applicable here too. Yeah. And so for me, that's really like 
it was just it's just been super present for me all week long is that and it's just one study of 350 kids right there's way more but 70 percent of them have experienced you know mental deterioration in their in their deterioration in their mental health and i just again i couldn't help but wonder i wonder if those 70 percent. i wonder if those kids know or feel like they can go talk to people right about what they're going through and how long they wait to go talk to them and then i wonder if those kids realize that they're not alone in this struggle right historically we've been through this and then i wonder if they have a belief that they can do hard things from you know stories in their family and their family's history also stories in their own life I think sometimes kids fail to recognize or that they've gone through hard things because when you're in the struggle, like that's all that's present for you. You're not thinking about anything else. You're not thinking about like hope for the future or mm -hmm. what you've already overcome. And so maybe even helping children identify really difficult things that they've gone through. And I know we're talking about children here, but as you were just kind of recapping a lot of that, I was like, this is so it's such good information though, even for, even for me, even for any adult, you know, as we're, for, we're all experiencing the same things that our kids have, that our kids are. And, you know, maybe do a, do a check-in with yourself too. Like, how are you, how are you feeling? Like, are you, do you feel like there's someone you can talk to about, about how you're feeling and maybe create that with someone. If you, if you feel like you could benefit from talking to someone. Yeah. And what it makes that. me think about is when he says in here that this new belief system started to set in with a lot of these kids that like, oh, our lives are over. Like, this is it. Like we're, you know, never, ne things ne are never going to go back to where, not only just the way they were, but things are never going to be good again. And he said, we have to restore that. We have to replace that belief system with a belief system of hope and something else. One of the, one of the most powerful ways to do that is with language. Right. And so I, whatever that saying is in every family, like for us, it's Smiths do hard things, but maybe for you, it's like, you know, Simpsons are strong or, you know, Johnson's, you know, Never give up. Never give up. Or we are, you know, like whatever it is, that language spoken on a consistent basis, backed up with these stories, really can change someone's belief system. And if it changes their belief system, it changes like their identity and like their outlook on all of it. But it reminds me when I first started the Campfire Effect, even though I would have these successes and these wins, those were always super easy to forget. <laughs> but the struggle and like the challenge was impossible to forget. Like that was the thing that was always able to, I was always able to focus on no matter how much good I'd already done. I'd still question like, could I really be successful in this business? Is it really going to work? Mm -hmm. Is the magic going to run out? And I can, I can like, I can truly say that if I didn't have some of those success stories that I'd, I'd occasionally go back and remind myself of and read some of the testimonials that people had written, it really was like kind of saved me. So in the campfire facts, a lot of times when clients are first starting a business, or they're, or they're, they've started, but they're newer in business. I actually encourage them to create what I call a brag book where they document their successes and their wins as an entrepreneur and the people they've successfully helped in testimonials. And when things get really difficult, they get discouraged to go back and read that. So that they remind themselves of, oh, you know, I do have something to offer. I am making a difference. I do have something that people want. And I, that to me is this, what we're talking about is these historical events and these stories from your family. It just can remind you of like, that's who you really are. Mm -hmm. Like you can do this. You've already done it. It's in your DNA, right? People have been doing it like you with, I love the child. Like women have been giving birth for millennia. Like I can do this. Yeah. I, I like, I like the idea of a, of a rag book too. I'm like, Oh, how could we incorporate that in this way? You know, a little, I don't know. I'll have to think about that more. Yeah. We could create a little family book of just stories of overcoming. We could create our own little book of that just as like from, from our own lives, grandparents, 
distant ancestors. We could just have, yeah, stories of people who have overcome. And like, I think that coupled with like a saying. And so, yeah, to recap is, yeah, like how do we create this belief system of hope? And I think it's a combination of we can talk about difficult things and we can talk about them immediately before they become even more of a, of a problem. And just, yeah, like we're people who overcome as a human race. And then within our family, we have these stories that prove that to us. I love that. All right. Thanks guys. See you next week. Hey there. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To show our appreciation, we want to offer you a free gift. We have an incredible online course you can get now by going to familybrand.com or by following the link in the show notes. And while you're there at familybrand.com, be sure to follow us on social media so that we can go on this journey together. Lastly, if this podcast has impacted you, we ask that you share it with another powerful family in your life and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. We will see you in the next episode.